Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. Good day, friends with college football frenzies, especially you Sunbelt brothers and sisters of the great states of Arkansas, Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, and the Carolinas. Welcome to episode 30, the Pearl episode of A Bowl Full of Chips, your podcast for national, non-cliche coverage of the college gridiron. We bring you interesting info, insight, and confident claims backed up by analytics and the ever-so-polarizing eye test and gut feeling. That's right. Welcome to the Sunbelt Review on a Bowl Full of Chips, our final review of the last conference in Division I football. I am your ray of sunshine, the Chapalachian State Mountaineer, and you know my brother, the belt that keeps us up, the Texas State Bipcat. Bip, is your belt full of sun today? Well, Chappie, I'm actually trying to decrease the size of my belt. Oh, no. Fatty McGee is coming. So it's full of something, but, uh, <laughs> you know... Um, currently starting a new diet and like every other diet attempt, of course, this is going to be the time when they keep the weight off. So we'll, we'll right. see how it goes. <laughs> yep. Well, it's good to have goals in life. And, uh, for those who don't know BIP as, as intimately as I do, he actually is a man of great willpower and determination. And when he sets his mind to something, does a pretty damn good job, job at it. So I, I wish you the best BIP and I, I'm sure it will do well. I appreciate that brother. Well, uh, while Bip and I are trying to prevent our waistline from expanding, we want you to help us expand our show and enrich the scope of what we do best. When you're done listening, hit that share button and text, tweet, or email our link to those that love college football. Please also interact with us on Twitter or email. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC Bip. You can also send us emails to bowlfulofchips at gmail.com if that's your thing. So here on A Bowl Full of Chips, as you know by now, we love college football. We love to laugh. And we love country music, and country music is relevant for this episode today because in the Sunbelt country, in the uh, southeastern part of the United States of America, country music has a, a pretty strong hold or a pretty strong uh, fabric into, into what is the, the country living down there, Bip. And so um, let's, let's just kind of give the, the listeners some of the reasons why we enjoy country music, some of our favorite singers and why, um, it's, it's that peaceful, uh, melody and peaceful tunes that we can listen to, to, to kind of take some uh, stress off of our lives. Yeah. Well, I always like to envision country music as being that type of music that kind of can lift your spirits. It's also got, uh, some good storytelling in it. And to me, yeah. it's really good music to have in the background of just about anything. Um, you know, it's, and, and I always, you know, liken it to, um, you know, the, the down South Texas, uh, or, or Southern football movies to rehear the country music in the background just kind mm -hmm. of makes you think of kind of easier times. Now, Here's where the curmudgeon in me is going to come out. 
my favorite country music dates back to the uh the 90s through around about 2010 yep. uh so tim mcgraw toby keith montgomery gentry uh brooks and dunn amongst others but yep. i'm not a huge fan of the ever-present uh bro country music that is played right now where <laughs> every song seems to be solely about a girl in a truck and uh also, a lot of the songs are nowadays going that Taylor Swift route of being kind of a pop song and being called country music. Um, so, like I said, call me uh, call me getting old, but um, that that's my two cents on the country music scene today. But still have um, probably about uh, a good chunk of my iPod um, from the uh, the nineties through two thousands uh, country music uh, playing on a regular basis. Yeah, and I would agree to an extent to that, but I'm going to separate male country artists from female country artists, um, and <laughs> I I separate Taylor Swift about as far away from my country music playlist as possible. Um, <laughs> I do like some of the newer artists like Thomas Rhett, Jason Aldean, um, Florida Georgia Line, Billy Currington, and of course, the proud Georgia Southern grads Cole Swindell and Luke Bryan, but you didn't That's know right. that. Um so, you know, you know, to me, country music is kind of that it's almost the opposite of that pump up uh, hard rock music that you like to listen to when you're working out, you're running, you're, you're lifting weights. Country music to me is a good way to um, kind of relax and to take the edge off and to almost uh, set me into uh, a good mood, not to sound too um, H word, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it's almost like the the musical version of, of a nice glass of whiskey for me. It just kind of. Uh, slips me into uh into ease into comfort and, and sure. i like it and i i do like the newer blend of country rock that's nowadays but um you know again I, i'm i'm more of the uh the the dude country as opposed to the uh the chick country rock so right um <laughs> but uh you know to me I, i'm with you it reminds me of you know the down south both of us growing up in texas um, that's where we kind of got our, our taste of that. Our, our dad and our grandparents would listen to it. And, you know, so growing up on people like George Strait, Alabama, um, you know, some of those uh, more classical country artists, in addition to uh, the 90s and early 2000s bands that you referenced. So a uh, big pusher of country music. I myself have never been to Nashville, Tennessee, but it's certainly an area that I would love to go and visit. Kind of kicking myself that I didn't go when Northwestern was playing in the Music City Bowl a couple seasons ago. Um, but it's definitely on my soon to be bucket list and, um, big endorser for country music. So if you are too, hit us up on Twitter and certainly carry on that conversation. So let's get right into the Sunbelt review, Bipster. Um, and we'll start as always with our standings from 2018. You want to start with the Eastern division of the Sunbelt? Sure. Uh, the Eastern Division, which really had the, the cream of the crop in the entire conference, yeah. uh, starting off with uh, Appalachian State. They go 11 and 2, 7 and 1 in the conference, um, followed up by Troy, who was 10 and 3, 7 and 1 in the conference. Uh, surprise team Georgia Southern, 10 and 3 overall, 6 and 2 in the conference, and followed up by Coastal Carolina, who finished 5 and 7, 2 and 6 in the conference, and rounding it up, um, kind of a big disappointment this year, Georgia State finishing two and 10 overall one and seven in the conference. Take us over to the West there, Chappie. Yep. So uh, of course a, a 10 team conference split into two divisions, uh, fairly, fairly new thing for the Sun Belt. So over in the West, you've got Louisiana took the 
the division with a five and three conference mark, seven and seven overall. Doesn't look too impressive, but the the way that Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, uh, gutted out some of their victories, and we'll get to some of that in our games later on in the podcast. But they took the West. Behind them was my pick to win the West, and really my pick to win the Sun Belt last year, and that was Arkansas State. They finished eight and five, five and three in conference, so a, a pretty good overall record for the season. But of course, there was um, the tragedy of of uh, head coach Blake Anderson, his wife Wendy was battling cancer, and and he admitted that that spread him thin. And, and I give him credit for for coaching last season. Um, I, yeah. I couldn't imagine having a loved one going through something like that and having to focus your attention on something as big as Division One college football. Uh, so they came in second. Louisiana Monroe was six and six overall, four and four in the conference, but did not qualify for a bowl game. South Alabama or USA, as they are more recently known as, three and nine, two and six in conference, and then. The Texas State Bobcats at three and nine, but one and seven in conference. They uh, found themselves at the bottom of the West there. And of course, in the championship game, the Eastern Appalachian State uh, Mountaineers defeated the Louisiana Raging Cajuns by a score of 30 to 19 to take the Sun Belt crown. And um, really, were one of the power five, or I'm sorry, group of five darlings, and certainly a, a hot pick for um, group of five crasher for 2019, which we'll get into in a little bit as well. Um, well, let's go right to the surprises, Bip. So um, I'll start off with my surprise team in the Sun Belt this year. Sure. And for me, it was a clear pick, and that was the Georgia Southern Eagles. Yes! That's awesome! So last season, Georgia Southern, um, they finished 2-10, and 10, but they started off 0-6, which led to the firing of then-head coach Tyson Summers, and they promoted uh, current head coach Chad Lunsford. Now, Lunsford was a special teams coach and a, and a pretty good recruiter. He was the recruiting coordinator at Georgia Southern as well. Um, finished 2-4 and four to end the season, so not a bad uh, record for, for Coach Lunsford as he came in uh, kind of unexpectedly and, and turned the ship around a little bit. Um, so they were picked to finish fourth out of uh, five teams in the in the Eastern Division, and ended up, um, you know, finishing like you said in third place. They won ten games, which um, is you know one of the best seasons in school history. They started off seven and one with their only loss coming at number two Clemson, and they also beat preseason favorites Arkansas State and Appalachian State, which um, really hel- helped the uh, Eagles to flirt with the top twenty-five ranking. But then they dropped back-to-back games against ULM and Troy, both by double digits. So uh, a pretty big slip-up when when things that you know the Southern, Georgia Southern had a lot of momentum going into the the uh, midway point in the season. They did have six players on the first and second team All SBC uh, Conference team, and they were a perfect three and zero in close games. Or in other words, when when the game was decided by seven points or less, Georgia Southern found a way to win and and got the job done. But again, those those two crucial losses back-to-back uh, toward the back end of the season against M- Louisiana Monroe and Troy really was um, backbreakers because if, if they took care of business in that, not only would they have been in the Sun Belt Championship game, probably would have won it, but they would have been looking at a 12-1 and season, which would have been outstanding and really unfathomable for Georgia Southern fans heading into 2018. Well, yeah, and and let me uh, touch upon uh, Georgia Southern as well, because I also had them as my surprise team there, Chappie. And um, I, I, like you, thought it was an amazing turnaround for them, going from 2-10 and 10, um, to getting 10 wins this year. Um, not only did they, they win the 10 games, but they won seven of their games by at least 17 points. They finished, um, 
this season seventh in the country in rushing yards per game. And um, defensively, they finished 27th in points per game allowed. So really impressive on both sides of the ball for them. Um, they were also 10th uh, fewest in penalty yards per game in the country, fifth in red zone offense, and they were first in turnover margin with a plus 22, which was six better than the second place team. Yeah, and I was going to point that out. And that's that's a huge uh, category that, that you want to be at the top, and certainly that helped them uh, to their success. Yeah, and, and in doing that, or the, the way they got there, they forced 27 turnovers, which tied for eighth in the country. They turned the ball over for only five times, but didn't uh, throw an interception all season. Um, and a lot of that right. it can be attributed to the strong play um, from Shy Wirtz as he threw for 987 yards, rushed for 908, and combined for 25 total touchdowns. He also uh, averaged nine or 8.5 yards per attempt, which would have been first in the conference. But according to most sites, he didn't throw enough passes to qualify for that. And as I mentioned, didn't right. throw a single pick all season. So very impressive for him. Um, all six of the um, Georgia Southern's top rushers rushed for at least five yards per carry, while three of them averaged at least five and a half yards per carry. Um, and while they obviously didn't throw the ball a lot, uh, Darian Anderson was Mr. Efficiency as four or as his four catches on the season went for three touchdowns and he averaged 40 yards per catch. So um, big play uh, threat there, even though they, they tend to run the ball the vast majority of the time uh, defensively. Um, Kendall, uh, Vildor, uh, set the tone for the defense as he finished with four picks, 12 passes defended, 42 tackles, four, four and a half tackles for loss. It was one of those, um, uh, SBC first team all conference, um, selections that you had mentioned. So really a job well done by Georgia Southern. And I was really impressed with what they were able to do this season. Yeah. And, and for those who aren't familiar, Georgia Southern, of course, runs that, uh, flex bone triple option offense, which, uh, you know, Way back, Paul Johnson, who uh, recently retired from Georgia Tech, he was at uh, Georgia Southern before he went to Navy and then eventually went to Georgia Tech. So they're, they they like running that offense down um, at uh, at GSU, and, and they run it really well. And Coach Chad Lunford, Lunsford really helped uh, accentuate that this year. So yeah, they're, absolutely. They're our, they're our surprise team, uh, pleasant surprise team in the Sun Belt this season. Bip, let's go to disappointment. Unfortunately, we don't like talking about negatives, but who – Drop the ball for you in the Sun Belt this season. Well, I'm going to stay in uh, the state of Georgia and go with Georgia State. What happened? Um, now, last year they finished seven and five, five and three in the conference. This year they dropped to two and ten, one and seven in the conference, with their two wins being against Kennesaw State, um, a non-FBS opponent, and uh, conference foe UL Monroe. Um, offensively. Not much to speak of. They finished 89th in yards per game, 104th in points per game. Defensively, they were even worse as they finished 126th in yards per game, 122nd in points per game. And they also allowed the um, 124th most um, rushing yards, or they they finished 124th in rushing yards per game. They gave up at least 34 points in every game against an FBS FBS opponent this year, and they gave up at least 40 points in six games. Their loss by three to Coastal Carolina was their only loss by one score this season. Um, so really, when you look at their entire season, um, not a great job done by Georgia State. Um, but I was expecting to see, when I looked at a lot of the more metrics, um, to see them in the in the bottom 30, there really wasn't a whole lot of, of, of bad points to talk of outside of their overall defensive numbers. Um, yeah. They did finish 124 or 125th in third down uh, defense percentage. 
um, and they were 128th in uh, team passing efficiency defense. But a few positives for them. They finished second in the country uh, with the second fewest penalties, and they were also seventh in special teams efficiency ranking. So um, not not much to speak of highly for Georgia State, but in looking in the numbers, seems like they were a team that that could have maybe uh, performed a little better than than what the the final score showed, um, yeah. as they were kind of blasted in most of their games. So uh, definitely didn't expect them to win either division or win their division by any means, but um, right. a two win season was not something that I saw coming. Yeah, especially with as, as poorly of a defensive game as they played. Right. And you mentioned that they were second in uh, fewest penalties allowed. Do you know who number one on that list was, Bipster? Uh, that was your Northwestern Wildcat, Wildcats the Northwestern by a Wildcat. mile, right? <laughs> yep, yep, that's right. <laughs> so, and, uh, and little shout and out there. And even more impressive because they played, what, three, two more games than, um, than Georgia State? Yep, yep. So... <laughs> Uh, a lot of discipline over there in, in uh, Evanston. So yes, go Cats. <laughs> so who did you have as your uh, your disappointment in the Sun Belt, Chappie? Well, um, with an 8-5 and five overall record and a second-place finish in their division, the Arkansas State Red Wolves, um, to call them a disappointment, may be a little bit uh, of a an offensive term, especially given the uh, the situation with, with the Anderson family. However... I saw Arkansas State as a team that losing to Alabama on the road uh, was a given, but every other game that they played on their schedule, I really thought that they had a a beyond good reason or beyond, um, you know, I, I clearly thought that they were going to be favorites in every other game. So I looked at them as a team that could win 11 or 12 games this season, win the, um, the Sun Belt, but they, they did not. They, they were picked as the West favorites and had a favorable schedule, like I mentioned. Um, they played 2017's co-champs Appalachian State and fourth place uh, Georgia State, both in Jonesboro. Um, they played at number one Alabama, like I mentioned, but that looked like it could be their only loss. They started off the season three and one, but then lost back-to-back games against jo- Georgia Southern on the road. Um, and, and that was kind of a bad loss at that point early in the season because this was a Georgia Southern team who, like we mentioned, only won two games in 2017. Right. And then they lost um, against App State as well, which, you know, you can't hang your head too much on that because App State obviously was the cream of the crop in the Sun Belt. Um, though they still had a chance to win the West, but they lost in a shootout to Louisiana on the road. So when you look at how um, subpar the Western teams were and when you look at Louisiana, even though they were, uh, you know, the, the champion of the West, you, you really, uh, you look at the overall scope and you still kind of scratch your head and wonder how did Arkansas state, um, not come out on top, even given some of the, the adversity that they faced this year. So, but like I, like I mentioned, I, I don't want to harp on this too much because I give coach Anderson a lot of credit for sticking it out and, and, um, being organized enough and driven enough to, uh, you know, use this season and use, uh, his second passion in life, uh, football and coaching to kind of distract him and, and try and find some positivity while he was, you know, going some of those personal, going through some of those personal battles with his wife Wendy. So um, all the best to them and their family. But unfortunately, Arkansas State, because of my high aspirations for them going into 2018, finishing eight and five, 
um, and not coming out of the West as the as the division champ there. That was my disappointment for 2018. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, many props given uh, for him sticking out the season like that. But yeah, like you said, the West was just uh, considerably weaker than the East this year. They had the schedule. And when you have the um, offensive player of the conference for the year, you figure that you would do a little better than five and three in the conference. So um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Eight and five is not a bad season, but for the expectations they had going into it, um, I, w- I would agree with you in that regard that uh, a little bit disappointing this year for the Red Wolves. Yep. Yep. Best of times and the worst of times. It was a little bit more of the worst of times, uh, considering. So. Sure. Um, well, let's go to our most outstanding offensive player. And and you kind of started to steal a little bit of thunder. I'm going to go with Shy Wirtz, the sophomore quarterback from Georgia Southern. Okay. Um, so. You know, I, I know that there was Justice Hansen from Arkansas State and even Elijah Mitchell from Louisiana. But for me, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Wirtz was not only a, a, a very qualified runner, he, um, you know, he had the, had those numbers on the ground, 908 rush yards, which was sixth best, best in the conference, 15 touchdowns on the ground, which was tops in the Sun Belt, averaged five yards per carry. Um, he had five games where he scored three touchdowns or more. Um, and then throwing the ball, completed – 59.5% of his passes, but again, that's that's not too bad considering the fact that he only threw the ball 116 times and almost every time that the ball touches his hands, it's it's going to be on the ground and he's either pitching the ball or he's keeping it. He's not really accustomed to throwing the ball that well, um, but Coach Lunsford really uh, holds him in high regard as a, as a quality passer. Uh, most impressive to me was the fact that, you know, in those 116 attempts, zero interceptions. He had a 10 to zero interse- or touchdown to interception ratio, which is remarkable considering he's a triple option quarterback. Um, so he had a touchdown for every 10 throws that he put through the air. Uh, he was second in the conference in pass efficiency. He also caught a touchdown pass for 30 yards. Uh, this guy's just a good leader, and all the while um, losing most, you know, what was. What came out was he, his family suffered a fire at their house during the season where they lost most of their possessions. And, um, you know, again, that personal adversity didn't get him down. He kind of played through it and he was considered their best player, according to Clemson coach Dabo Sweeney. So when they went down to Death Valley and played, Sweeney had nothing but great things to say about this sophomore quarterback for the, uh, for the Eagles. So that's why, you know, I put him at the top as my most outstanding offensive player, because if I'm taking one of these guys on offense and I'm building a team, Shy Wirtz is definitely a guy that I want to build around. But yeah. And it, when you're when you're throwing the ball in a triple option, there's one of the two things that could usually happen. You're either taking the defense by surprise or you're forced into throwing. And everyone knows that triple option team is not really the most well suited for doing so. So the fact that he didn't have any interceptions and the fact that he was so efficient, um, I thought was a, a definite um definitely impressive to me over the season, but I went with a different quarterback within the conference and I went with Zach Thomas from uh, Appalachian Mm -hmm. state. Now he threw for fewer touchdowns, yards and completions than justice Hanson from Arkansas state. However, he also had a eight or um, 180 fewer attempts. Despite that, he finished with only six fewer touchdowns in Hanson. And here's what his season stats look like. He, Threw for 2,039 yards, completed 62.6% of his passes, and had a 21 to 6 touchdown interception ratio. Um, those six touchdowns or those six uh, interceptions were three less than what Hansen threw. His eight yards per attempt were second in the conference and was better than Hansen. 
He led the conference in passer efficiency rating and also added 504 yards rushing and 10 touchdowns on the ground. He even caught a touchdown pass. So he did all of this while missing a game, um, essentially, as he was knocked out in the first series of the Georgia Southern game, a game in which the Mountaineers lost, by the way. So shows you how important he was to that team. He yeah. also had some of his best games against their tougher opponents in Middle Tennessee State, Arkansas State, and their near upset of Penn State in the opener. So yep. given all of that, I would take Zach Thomas um, slightly over Justice Hansen. I think all things equal, if he had those 180 uh, more um, passing attempts, that the stats would have been much closer. And so the passer efficiency that he showed throughout the season tips him over Hansen in my book by just a slight nod. Yeah, I would agree. I would definitely put Thomas over Hanson at that quarterback spot. Um, and that was something that I forgot to point out about, you know, that that big matchup, which was on an ESPN Tuesday night game between Georgia Southern and App State. Um, I think that was, was going to be a different game if, if Thomas stays in. Uh, Georgia Southern really had no problem uh, kind of throttling Appalachian State. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, even though they're they're out, uh, Thomas, the Georgia, Georgia Southern really rolled in that game more so than what they should have. Uh, you would think, um, yeah, going into that game, right? And Wirtz, uh, I forgot to point this out, had 129 yards on the ground, which was good for 9.2 per carry. So when when the opposing quarterback is is ripping off nearly 10 yards per run <laughs> against you, it's going to be a long day. Yeah, so defensive <laughs> coordinator is going to need the aspirin at uh, at maximum there. So exactly. What well, about defense- on defense? Yeah, defensively, Chappie, I'm going to go with uh, Ronnie Bingham from Arkansas State. Um, Now, he led the conference this year with 18 and a half tackles for loss, uh, also led the conference with nine sacks, added 65 total tackles, had five passes defended as a defensive end, which is impressive. Given how much the this conference runs the ball, I was impressed with the tackles for loss for sure more than the sacks. Um, But he was a guy that could get after the quarterback despite this conference being one uh, that tends to run the ball more than, than passing it. Um, he had two games with double-digit tackles. He had uh, six games with multiple tackles for loss and seven games with at least half a sack. So he got in the backfield early and often, regardless of whether it was a run or a pass, and uh, really helped set the tone for that uh, Red Wolves defense. Uh, so he got my nod for defensive player of the game. Um, but Chappie, where did you where did you land on, on defensive player of the year for the Sun Belt? Yeah, I had Bingham uh, very close to, you know, getting the nod from me. Um, And honorable mention to Hunter Reese from Troy and Tron Folsom, uh, formerly of Troy. He put his Mm -hmm. name in the transfer portal this offseason. But I went with David Griffith, a a hybrid strong safety outside linebacker for Louisiana Monroe. So 6'1", 209, a senior. Um, I was a little surprised he only made second team all Sun Belt because – he was uh, he was fifth in the conference with 92 total tackles. He was uh, ninth in sacks with five, which you know coming from an outside linebacker position, um, when he's not really rushing the passer too much, uh, that's that's pretty considerable. He was second in tackles for loss with 15 and a half. He had a forced fumble, and his best games came against. Um, Arkansas State, which they lost, but he had 12 tackles and four TFLs. And then at Coastal Carolina, which was a win, he had eight tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks, and a forced fumble. And I point him out as outstanding because this is on a defense that was in the bottom third in 
scoring defense and defensive yards per play. Yeah. And then they were in the bottom bottom 10 in uh, defensive passage efficiency and red zone defense. So he was a guy that stood out to me on a defense that really needed a star. And so when we talk about most outstanding, I just felt that Bingham was surrounded by a little bit more talent and a better supporting cast, whereas Griffith was kind of doing a lot of this stuff, maybe solo and on his own. And, and ULM was kind of right in the thick of things in that uh, Western division up until the tail end of the season. And I think Griffith was a big part of that, keeping that defense glued together and, and keeping them in games. Sure. Well, uh, let's go off the radar, Bip. Um, and we'll stay on the defensive side of the ball while we're while we're on that subject. Um, I'm going to go with Nicholas Daniels, a linebacker for Texas State, as my off-the-radar defensive player that really didn't get a lot of acclaim. Now, he made third-team all-sun belt. Um, at six foot, 235, he's a junior. So he'll be coming back. He was second in the conference with 108 tackles. He had five and a half tackles for loss, a sack, four passes defended, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, um, and played some pretty good games against Appalachian state and Troy against the Mountaineers. He had 13 tackles and a half of a tackle for loss. And against Troy on the road, he had 16 tackles half of a tackle for loss, and then a, uh, a pass defended as well. And I like him because he's a good player to have along uh, with first-teamer Brian London. So London got more of the press, but Nicholas Daniels was right there with him as his uh, as his mate at linebacker. And and I think that these two coming back are going to give new coach Jake Spavital, who comes over from West Virginia, um, some good leaders on that defensive side of the ball. And we know that Spavital is, is going to be the offensive guru that's going to hopefully put things in high-flying action out in San Marcos, Texas. Um, but it's nice to know that he's got um, a guy like Daniels who um, you know, is going to be coming back and leading full charge. And, and anytime you have the number two tackler in the conference, that certainly bodes well for your confidence. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I'll stick with uh, linebacker there, Chappie, and I'm going to go with Carlton Marshall. Um, as a freshman, mm-hmm. he finished uh, second on the team um, – uh, on Troy, uh, finished second on the team in tackles with 76. He also tied for fourth on the team with nine tackles for loss. Um, he didn't finish anywhere on any, um, of the, uh, all conference team at all, which kind of surprised me, especially, uh, being on such a successful team like Troy. Um, he added also three sacks, three force fumbles, one fumble recovery, and one pass defended. So uh, Troy loses Tron Folsom, as you mentioned already, and also edge rusher Hunter Reese. So they're going to need Marshall to continue his strong play and improve upon his 2018 production as they head into 2019. I think they got a good one as a as a freshman to have him at least for two more years. And uh, they mm-hmm. look like they have some some talent, some good talent returning there for them. Um, so someone to keep an eye out for as we get into 2019. Yeah, and I like the way that Troy plays defense, and we saw that against Nebraska, the the very potent Nebraska offense early in the season out in Lincoln. Um, Troy pulled the upset, but they really did it with with shutdown defensive play, and and those guys that you mentioned were, were a big part of that. What about the offensive side of the ball, Bip? Who's who's kind of sneaking behind the bushes that um, is a lot better than most people will will come out and, and realize? Well, when you're dealing with the Sun Belt, you could say that just about anyone's uh, off the radar unless they make a, uh, you know, all American team. So, uh, mine is, is kind of a stretch maybe for off the radar as Marcel Murray, the running back from Arkansas state was the Sunbelt newcomer of the year. Uh, and he was Mm -hmm. a third team Sunbelt selection, but he's someone that 
probably isn't on everyone's radar. Now, he, as I mentioned, he is a freshman, ran for 860 yards and eight touchdowns this year, but he was sharing time with a productive senior in Warren Wan, who has run for over 700 yards in each of his four seasons there with the Red Wolves. Um, so uh, Murray averaged 5.6 yards per carry this year, also added 141 receiving yards and two touchdowns. He had four games with at least 94 yards while never crossing the 20 carry mark in a single game this year. And he only crossed the 15 carry mark four times this year. So some good stats for not getting a whole lot of work. His best game this year was against Louisiana in which he had 121 yards and three touchdowns and should provide a strong running threat for the Red Wolves for the next two to three years. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. It's 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 kind of hard to really go deep into off the radar because like you mentioned, um, you mentioned or you, you say the name uh, Murray and a lot of people outside of the Sunbelt area and outside of those, those diehard college football fans are going to be um, kind of pondering you know who you're really talking about so right um but i'm gonna go with a quarterback and he's really the backup quarterback that came in and and helped troy to uh, a pretty successful tail end of the season that's sawyer smith who was a sophomore last year who's that dude now caleb barker was their starter and he got hurt earlier in the year smith came in in relief and went six and two as a regular starter with losses only to liberty and then um appalachian state both of them on the road um he completed 62.6% of his passes with a 14 to 6 touchdown to interception ratio, 1,669 yards uh, through the air. He also added a rushing touchdown and um, a receiving touchdown as well. His best came, his best game though came in the last game of the season um, in the bowl game against Buffalo, who was favored over Troy, and he completed 70.5% of his passes for 320 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions against a Buffalo defense that had a lot of athletes and who I liked watching play. So um, Sawyer Smith is the guy that I I saw as kind of that diamond in the rough coming out and and performing well for his team when he wasn't even a starter to begin with. Yeah, he also had a pretty good game in their win against Georgia Southern, which was a really good one for Troy as well. So I like that one, Chappie. Well, let's get to the the golden whistle, Bip. Um, Coach of the year, who are you going to crown in that category? Well, uh, I think we kind of both tipped our hats a little bit. I'm going to go with Chad Lunsford Lunsford from uh, Georgia Southern. Um, So am I. Now, something I didn't know uh, before I started doing my research on this, Georgia Southern actually has a pretty rich history of quality coaches, including... Paul Johnson, Jeff Munkin, uh, or Munkin, uh, Willie Fritz, mm-hmm. and yep. defensive stalwart Brian Van Gorder. Um, <laughs> so, um, so Lunsford will have his hands full in 2019 as, as they return a good amount on uh, both sides of the ball, but they lose their best offensive lineman and their leading rusher from 2018 in Wesley Fields. Additionally, that schedule is not going to do them any favors as they open at LSU. They have to travel to Minnesota, and their first uh, or the first four games of the their conference are definitely winnable, but they have to travel to App State and Troy in back-to-back weeks, and they ha- also have to travel to Arkansas State as well. So um, the fact that Lunsford did so well this year and uh, did an admirable job last year in taking over midseason, I think if uh, he's got the ability, the coaching ability, that if he does a similar job to this year um, or, or a similar job in 2019 as he did this year, they could maybe get to nine wins. And if they can do that, that would be a huge achievement. And I would have to wonder how desirable and be interested to see how desirable he is after the 2019 season. If he can have a, another nine or 10 win season as he's a young guy who's on the rise, but you have to wonder how that triple option offense is 
if it's how appealing it is to athletic directors out there in today's uh, modern college football landscape. Right. Yeah, I I agree. I I think Lunsford uh, hands down did the best job coaching in the Sun Belt this season. So. Right. Like I mentioned, three and zero in close games, which which shows that you really got your team glued together. They're playing for you. Um, the most wins in school history since they joined the FBS with ten uh, total wins. They had win streaks of two games, five games, and three games throughout the season. So anytime you can string those victories together like that, especially five in a row, mm-hmm. that's saying that you're doing something right. Um, they won all but one game at home this year, so um, just the one loss on their home turf. Um, he really seems to have the respect of his guys. Now they were picked fourth in the Sun Belt East, um, and they came out with um, a, a second place finish. Which you know, compared to their two wins a season ago, that's that's a hell of a job. Mm-hmm. And he does a lot for this program. He basically um, volunteers and and recruits and and fundraises on his own. I don't think he gets any extra kickback out of that, except for um, you know, the more he wins, the, the and the more butts he puts in the seats you know that's gonna have a payoff long term but he goes door to door to frats and sororities to fire up the fans and get them in the stands so he's basically uh, a door-to-door salesman knocking uh, around campus and and encouraging people to and students to come out to the games and I really like that tradition that they have where they will take the old school yellow school buses um, driving into the stadium and fans will line up and they'll basically start to tap on the sides of the buses and it's just a really cool look ESPN did a good job of showing that entrance when they played their game against Appalachian State um, down in, in Statesboro, Georgia. So I like that tradition and I just like the direction that Lunsford is going. For sure. Um, they, they're also a discipline team. They were 10th in the country with few, in, in terms of fewest penalty yards. And that's a clear sign of good coaching. They were in the top 25 in three major offensive categories. They were 25th in scoring defense. And they, like you mentioned, they were number one in the country in turnover margin. So all those things suggest that you've got a disciplined team and discipline starts at the top with their coach. And so uh, the golden whistle clearly goes to Coach Lunsford. So great job, Coach. Yep. So we're going to we're going to kind of do the uh, the the tail end of our podcast here a little bit different. Bip, I'm going to have you talk about where you put the Sun Belt, because I agree with you and, and talk about where they're ranked out of the 10 or 11 conferences and why you put them there. And then I'll take the uh, the top games of the year. So do you want to sure. give us your rundown of why um, the Sun Belt sits where they sit for us? Well, I put it uh Eighth of ten, uh, as I didn't include the independence with mine, just due to right. the the lack of size for them. So I had them eight of ten, ranked ahead of um, the MAC and Conference USA. Now they ranked seventh in the country in win percentage. They were three and two in their bowl games, uh, but where they really stood apart from the MAC and Conference USA was uh, the top teams in the conference. Now um, App State was. Um, ranked number 25 this year, and they could have potentially been higher had Zach Thomas not been hurt um, and knocked out of that game against uh, Georgia Southern. So had they been able to win that game, who knows how high they could have finished the season potentially. Um, They had three teams that finished with double digits this year in App State, Troy, and Georgia Southern. And um, those three teams all finished in the top 20, uh, the top 41 uh, in the country in scoring margin. So teams that can not only put up some points, but play some defense as well. And I think it's because of those for me anyways, it's because of those top three teams. And we'll throw Arkansas State in there as well, um, as I think that they're. More, more times than not, uh, a dangerous team to to play um, because of the the 
top heaviness and, and the strength of the top of this conference. I like them a little better than Conference USA and a little better than the MAC. Yeah, and and I guess we the only part where we disagree slightly is in in our phys- philosophical look at you know what constitutes um, a top conference or whatnot. So I know that your your focus is on the the top teams of the conference, and mm-hmm. and those are great teams, and they clearly are better than Conference USA and the MAC. Um, but you know I look at it as if you look at if you cut every conference in half and you take the top fifty percent of their teams. It really stops there at um, Appalachian State, Troy, and Georgia Southern. I think this year Arkansas State was kind of on the outside looking in. But even after Arkansas State, uh, the next best team you're looking at is a 7-7 seven and seven Louisiana team, who I still am surprised that they uh, squeaked their way into the, the uh, conference <laughs> championship game. And if right. I'm Troy and Georgia Southern, I, I'm really thinking that I know it's logistics and I know you've got to put up or shut up, but um, – both of those two teams had a much better argument to play in the Sunbelt Championship. And so this is a case where I almost wish for their uh, for their sake, the Sunbelt had the same setup that the Big 12 does, where you take the top two teams overall and it's not split into divisions. But, you know, right. that's a moot point because uh, logistics are what they are and, and, and that's how it rolled. Right. And and taking that a step further, I think that that should be how every conference runs it, where it's the top yeah. two teams and you pick out – the uh the divisions i mean play the same teams every year if you want to uh because that just makes sense and it adds to the rivalries and whatnot but take the two best teams not the two out of each side because we've seen plenty of examples uh, not only this year but in years past as well to where one side of the conference is clearly stronger than the other right because at at any company you're not going to divide the uh you're not going to divide the interview pool into two rooms and say, we're going to take the best one from this room and the best one from this room. You know, I mean, right. you're going to take the top two people if you have two spots open. So I agree For with sure. you. I, I, I think I would like to start to see conferences, um, even if you split into divisions in terms of scheduling, you take the mm-hmm. top two teams in terms of record and you have your tiebreakers and you, you have your whole system. So I'm right. with you on that one, Bip. So looking at the top games from the Sun Belt this year, and I'm going to go in uh, order of one, two, three, because this is how they played in terms of chronological uh, order in the season. So the top game of the year for me was Arkansas State at Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern won 28-21. Now, this was a a West versus East East matchup, and Georgia Southern only led by no more than eight points throughout the whole game. Arkansas State tied the game on a four-yard touchdown run by Justice Hansen, who... um, it was odd to see him run for a score because he threw for 376 yards and a touchdown uh, throughout the contest. Um, and that game or in that touchdown by him tied it up at 21 Georgia Southern then methodically worked their way down to midfield, then ran a reverse to Wesley Kennedy who caught an over pursuing red wolves defense off guard and raced 47 yards and dove over the pylon for the go ahead game winning touchdown, giving the Eagles a seven point victory over Arkansas state. And by the way, that play, that touchdown run was on a third and seven right around midfield. So where some teams might play a little bit more conservative and punt and play for, you know, defense coach Lunsford rolled the dice a little bit, ran a, uh, a reverse, a somewhat of a trick play and, and it certainly worked to perfection i love that story my number two game was uh arkansas state again losing a 43 47 contest at louisiana so this was uh kind of a de facto west division championship game uh right around the past the midway point in in conference play the raging cajuns were down 40 to 43 but patiently drove 55 yards in 11 plays that ended in a four-yard touchdown run by running back trey regus 
to give them a 47-43 lead that held um, that held to win a pivotal Sunbelt Conference game in the West and ultimately led to their crowning as West Division champions. Now, Arkansas yeah, State took – I'm sorry, go and, ahead. Sorry about that, Chappie. And, and Louisiana really lived and died off of the, uh, the big plays. They had plays of 72, 65, 64, and 53 in this game. Yeah. They had um, – their, uh, their top two rushers in the game each averaged over 17 yards per carry, and their top two receivers each averaged over um, 20 yards catching the ball. Um, so big plays were in abundance for Louisiana in this game for the victory. Yeah, and so Arkansas State took their first lead in this offensive explosion in the fourth quarter. So uh, Louisiana pretty much controlled the whole game up until the fourth quarter when the Red Wolves got a 73-yard touchdown pass from Justice Hansen to Kirk Merritt, who, by the way, was the only Sun Belt receiver to eclipse 1,000 yards this year. Then they regained that lead with 5.48 left after a Marcel Murray seven-yard touchdown run, your guy, um, followed by a two-point conversion but four minutes later, Regis crossed the plane and the Cajuns sealed the victory again, um, etching their way up to the top of the Western Division and ultimately a West Division championship. So that was the number two game. And then the number three game came when the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, who we just mentioned, won at Louisiana Monroe by a 31 28 uh, score. Now, this was one of the conference's more underrated quarterbacks in Andre Nunez, who really wasn't even a full time starter for, for uh, Louisiana. He threw for three touchdowns, completing 73 of his passes, 73% of his passes, um, and came through when it counted. So Louisiana went up 31-21 after a screen pass to Elijah Mitchell for 40 yards, took it to the house, but ULM staked a comeback. A 30-yard touchdown pass from Caleb Evans to Marcus Green cut ULM's deficit to just three points. After forcing Louisiana to punt with two minutes left, uh, ULM drove down to the Cajuns' 19-yard line. And with just seconds left, Craig Ford the place kicker for ULM who had made 64% of his field goals on the season missed a 36 yard chipper as time expired and would have put the game into overtime. But this helped secure Louisiana's first divisional championship and conference championship game appearance since the Sun Belt split into two divisions. So those are really the top three most exciting and most pivotal games in conference play this year, Bip. Yeah. And, and that doesn't even count the, uh, the app state Penn state game, uh, that kicked off the season that right. the, uh, entire Sun Belt, I'm sure, were holding their collective breaths um, at the end of that game that unfortunately for App State and the Sun Belt fell just short um, of having miracle number two of the Mountaineers over the Big Ten. Right. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, uh, when we when we've done these reviews and we've talked about the top conference games, we really try and just stick with um, conference team versus conference team. So there was certainly a lot of um, non-conference matchups for for all the conferences where you could say, well, this game was a lot better. Um, And that certainly was, to me, the most entertaining game played by any Sunbelt team this season bit, but, um, you know, focusing in on conference play, um, those were the top three, but yeah, absolutely. That was a game where that would, how cool would that have been to have Appalachian state, um, work their way in and they probably would have eclipsed Boise state as the, the giant killer had they beaten, um, you know, top 15 yeah. and state on the road, just like they did against Michigan back in 2007. Mm-hmm. So, right. Well, let's give uh, the the viewers or the listeners, I should say, some of our AA or I'm sorry, some of our Sunbelt thoughts to snack on. Bip. So uh, we'll kind of uh, ping pong back and forth on this. So start us sure. off with something that you uh, came up with. Well, um, this is a conference that uh, really 
enjoys running the ball is they didn't have a single team in the bottom 30 rushing teams in the country uh, in, in rushing the ball as, as far as um, rushing yards per game. Texas State was 96th, but here's what some of the big boys, uh, how some of the big boys finished in the top third or in the bottom 30 of, of the country in rushing the ball. The ACC had three teams. The Big Ten, big shocker, had four teams, which is, uh, you know, not something that you expect when you when you imagine the, you know, the the black and blue um, persona and the reputation that they have in that conference of running the ball. Uh, the Big 12 finished with two teams, Pac-12 with three, and the SEC finished with one team in the bottom 30 of the country in rushing yards per game. So good nod to the uh, the Sun Belt for being so uh, adept at uh, running the football in 2018. Yeah, something that they were not uh, skilled at was playing defense. So this <laughs> conference had a lot of teams in the bottom 20 and even the bottom 10 in total defense. So to name a few, South Alabama, Georgia State, Coastal Carolina, Louisiana, and Louisiana Monroe all had big red circles on my stat sheet here as being um, near the bottom in total defense and in um, the major defensive category. So like scoring defense, defensive yards per play, rushing defense, sacks, um, a lot of these Sunbelt teams just could not hold water. And that's where we saw some of the higher scores, especially in some of those top games that we had highlighted. So um, to, to give some props though, Troy and App State both had some pretty good defenses. App State was in the top five in three major defensive categories. Um, Troy was in the top 25 in uh, five major defensive categories. So there were a couple teams who played good defense, but by and large, almost half the conference was near the, the bottom, uh, the bottom 20% of, of total defense. Yeah. And I'm going to piggyback off of that, uh, just a little bit for my next one. And maybe this is a, a potential byproduct of, um, being able to run the ball, uh, so effectively as they did, they, they didn't, um, have it, any team finish in the bottom 30 for passing yards allowed. Now, maybe that's partly because most of their conference opponents are running the ball so much against them. But uh, UL Monroe finished uh, last in the conference in passing um, yards allowed per game at uh, 95th. But like you mentioned, half of the 10 teams in the conference finished in the bottom 30 of the country in rushing yards uh, allowed. So something to uh, work on next year for the Sun Belt for sure is shoring up some of that uh, rush defense for sure. Yeah. And um, one thing I meant to piggyback on with your with your rushing uh, thought to snack on earlier, seven of the top eight running backs in the Sun Belt are coming back in 2019. So this is going to be another year where we expect to see pretty productive rush numbers and, and maybe even better rushing numbers for for mm-hmm. these Sun Belt teams. Um, I'm going to throw this out. We, we, we sang the praises of Coach Chad Lunsford, and, and I don't want to upset any Georgia Southern fans, but I have to wonder if he has another pretty good season, if they have a, a nine or 10 win season, or maybe even better, could the Navy midshipmen be looking over to Statesboro and wondering, do we cut ties with Ken Niamatololo? So if, if the Navy is, is still a, uh, a ship that's kind of below waters, do they let him go and, and allow him to focus on some of the extracurriculars that he's been involved in? And for good reason with his own church, but um, do they try and lure Chad Lunsford over to Navy, kind of like they did with Paul Johnson when, when he brought the midshipmen such success, which included winning against Notre Dame for the first time in like 94 years. So, right. <laughs> sorry, I had to throw that in. A bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. I, I, I would think that uh, Nia Matalolo would have a, 
long, long leash with Navy considering how successful he's been. Yeah. Um, but like you mentioned, it, it kind of goes beyond just what happens on the gridiron. Uh, if they, if they feel as though maybe his, uh, work, uh, within the church is getting in the way a little too much or a little more than what they'd like. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe that it, at that point it's a, it's a mutual, um, cutting of the ties from, from each side. So yeah, that's a, that's a good question to ponder as they'd be getting themselves one heck of a replacement if that, if it goes down that way. And, and granted, um, we, we kind of have to, uh, push the brakes on this one a little bit because Lunsford last year was only his first full season as a coach, albeit right. a, a very successful one. And, you know, he's 16 and five in a season and a half as a head coach. Um, Pretty good right. numbers for somebody who, uh, you know, this is his first major gig. And so um, hopefully for for Georgia Southern fans, he can keep the train rolling. Yeah. Um, but it, to take that a little bit, you know, it, say they they even end up with an eight win season this this year. Um, if you're Navy, you kind of have to jump all over uh, maybe even a, um, a semi unproven commodity like this. If right. you want to get ahead of the game, because yeah. if he has two, three more good seasons, then maybe a bigger team like Georgia tech, when they took a, uh, a chance on Paul Johnson, right. Comes calling it and wants to install the triple option when they yeah. didn't currently do so. Right. Or even a, a, a school like BYU, if, if Kalani Sataki is not performing sure. uh, and, and elevating the way that they want their program to, I know that everyone's so used to BYU being a throwing team, but um, you want wins more than anything else. And certainly right. coach Lunsford is, is somebody who's delivering on that. So mm-hmm. talking about um, teams that are on the rise, Bip, um, who are the teams that you think are, are have the most likelihood of maybe moving upward to a quote unquote, higher elevated conference in the next five years? Well, if we're talking about five years, I'm going to stress the five years on this one. Right. Uh, with my first team, and I'm going to say Georgia Southern. And the yep. reason why I say that is they had pretty decent success in the FCS ranks. Um, they've had some good alumni come through there. They've had some very successful players. They've had some pretty successful teams in the past. Um, and being in the state of Georgia, they have a good recruiting base. So if they can snap off, a few, uh, you know, two, three, four good seasons in a row, I think maybe they can start to build something up down there. Um, it shouldn't be too difficult for them to recruit in their backyard in the state of Georgia. Shouldn't be too difficult to get, uh, players to come play in the state of Georgia. So I think I could definitely see them, um, maybe towards the four or five year mark, be one of those teams that flirts with a bigger conference. And then I also think app state, they're probably maybe even a, a year or two away, uh, from doing so as they've won at least nine games the last four years, winning 11 games twice. They were ranked number 25 last year and could have been even higher as we touched upon earlier in the podcast. I think that they're a team that for sure, even if it's a um, a conference like maybe the ACC comes knocking and wants to add a couple other teams, um, it, does App State get some consideration if their top choices maybe don't come through or, or a situation like that to get another team from the Carolinas? Uh, within that conference. Yeah. And, and they are really like the Boise state of the East. So they've played at Clemson close. They've played at Georgia close. They played at mm-hmm. Tennessee um, close. They obviously beat Michigan on the road back in 2007. They should have beaten Penn state on the road this year. Um, yep. So they like Boise state are not afraid to play anybody anywhere. And they know that they have to go outside of Boone, North Carolina to do it. 
but they go and they they go full steam ahead. And so I'm really interested to see if Eli Drinkwitz coming over from NC State is going to continue that um, that legendary status that Jerry Moore and then uh, Scott Satterfield continued. Um, and it was it was a little bit. Um, I don't want to say disheartening, but I, I can't think of a better word. But, you know, to kind of go outside of that Appalachian State family and go with uh, Drinkwitz, I think he he will do a pretty good job. He certainly has um, a, a great foundation to to work with. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think the Mountaineers could be looking at maybe a jump to the American Athletic Conference again, you know, being yeah. in, in that eastern side. I think that the ACC is going to be a little bit too quick of a jump. I think that, you know, that's that's skipping three stones when really you want to take it one stone at a time crossing that Creek. So, and I agree with you on Georgia Southern as well. I think, you know, you're going to have to give them time, you know, four to five to six years, but you know, conference USA is a great landing spot for them as they want to try and elevate and build up the ranks. Um, And then who knows, like you said, with that Georgia recruiting base and with the way that uh, they're starting to attract a lot of attention down there, um, you know, they were a, a, an FCS powerhouse for a long time. So it's not like winning is something new to them. They have a lot of tradition and, um, you know, that's certainly a team that is, is going to be flirting with, with a, a vertical movement in the next, uh, in the next half decade. Right. So, uh, I think that does it for us, Bip, any other news so. or notes, any other thoughts on the Sunbelt? Well, just one other thought to snack on before we take off here. I know this is going to be maybe the most boring thought to snack on, but let's talk special teams just for a quick second here. Woo-hoo! The Sun Belt actually had three, ten, three teams that finished in the top 10 of the Football Outsiders special teams efficiency um, rankings, and Troy actually took home the number one spot. So if nothing else, this Sun Belt can sure play some special teams, Chappie. And you are making special teams coaches all across the uh, Southeast uh, shed a tear right now. They love you, man. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But, you know, it it is, you know, they say it's one third of the game of football. Um, I think if you dive deeper, it's really more like maybe one sixth of the uh, game of football because offensive defense take a a much bigger uh, stronghold. But, yeah, you Mm -hmm. you certainly can't overlook it. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, kind of like a golf swing. You never notice something's wrong with it until something's wrong with it. And right, yep. when it goes wrong, it can really screw you up. <laughs> yep. Good analogy, Noonan. <laughs> uh, well, uh if you, if you like where you're listening right now, stay where you're at. But if you're looking for maybe a, a little bit more user-friendly platform, we recommend you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Radio Public. So get it where it's comfortable for you. Download or better yet, subscribe and get the good stuff brought right to you. So like George Michael sang, don't let the sun go down on me. And we surely don't want the sun belt to go down. But bright on the horizon is the excitement of 2019. And Bip and I will continue to bring forecasts and prognostications as well as commentary. In our next upcoming podcast, we will start to get into the previews of 2019, looking at the players, the unit groups, surprises and disappointments, and an outlook at the teams from every conference in the country. That's right. National, baby. So we promise we'll hit on the group and the team that you want to hear about. No skimping here, unlike some other podcasts who like to focus on a more narrow region. That's why we advise that you stay tuned. And the best way to do that is, again, to subscribe and listen to the newest podcasts as they upload right to your device. Uh, two a week is typically our average. Sometimes we'll do more than that. And in the event that you're waiting for the next great debate on a bowl full of chips, check out our previous episodes you may have missed or want to revisit as you're doing your off-season planning. And please spread the word. Tell your friends, family, 
uh, co-workers about us, and continue to make A Bowl Full of Chips the best-growing college football podcast out there. Remember, you can also interact with us on Twitter. You can be sunny or cloudy or flat-out bring a monsoon of criticism. We'll be sure to set you straight. Thanks for tuning in to A Bowl Full of Chips, the podcast for all conferences. I am Chappie. And I am Pip. And we appreciate, with muchos gracias, your ears, your eyes, and your support. Sunrise, sunset, sunbelt, thank you for the memories. Till next time.